You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Thanks for tuning in. This is Aaron. Shortly, I'll be joined by my co-host Lauren and our special guest, Sarah Todd. She's a smart, hardworking reporter who covers the jazz closely for the Deseret News and the Unsalvageable podcast. Utah has yet to appear in the Western Conference Finals during head coach Quinn Snyder's tenure, Although the franchise has won nearly 63% of its regular season games over the past five seasons. Specifically, last season, a deep and gifted jazz squad spearheaded by Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert finished with the association's best record and best net rating behind elite play on both sides of the ball. Their plus 9.1 net rating came in nearly 3 points per 100 possessions better than the next best Clippers while the Suns, Bucks, and Sixers rounded out the league's top five. In light of such consistent and balanced dominance, expectations are higher than ever in Salt Lake City. Sarah will walk us through how they can meet those lofty expectations and finally parlay their success deep into the postseason. She'll also outline what's at stake with such an endeavor. Since it's Sarah's first time on the show, let's introduce her with a few fun facts. Sarah grew up in North Fork, California, without running water or electricity. In her words, it was a hand-built shack in the Sierra Nevada forest. While in high school, she moved north to Paradise, which was tragically almost entirely destroyed by a major wildfire three years ago. Transitioning to a more light-hearted tidbit, she still plays her NES, the original Nintendo system, and especially enjoys classic Super Mario Bros. games 2 and 3. Of course, we do have a timely interview to get you. Without further ado, here's Sarah Todd on the Utah Jazz. Sarah, it's really great to have you on. Excellent timing to be discussing one of last season's best teams in the league, just ahead of the NBA season tipping off. Of course, they finished in the top four in offensive and defensive rating last season, Naturally, they easily had the best net rating. And they have all this continuity, of course, too, that they're bringing into the season. Even with all those impressive things I ticked off, they were somehow overlooked going into the postseason last year. To what extent do you expect them to be elite again on both sides of the ball this season? The Jazz have been, especially on the defensive side, they've been good for you know a handful of years now. And uh, with the offensive production and the trajectory that Donovan Mitchell's career has taken. And they have really, really great shooters. There's no question that they're going to be able to put up some numbers. And so I expect them to still have, you know, efficiency on both sides of the ball. As far as going into the season uh, and what's expected of them in the postseason, I think that they're still underrated and looked over a little bit. I don't know if underrated is actually fair. Uh, Looked over is probably fair because that's the way that basketball works is you know you don't you don't get respect until you do something and they haven't done anything yet right so going into that 
they've had a decent amount of postseason success, but this group has yet to make a Western Conference Finals. And we saw each of the last two postseasons how it ended. They blew the 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets two years ago. Maybe that was a little bit of a special case. It was in the bubble. All things were crazy. There was another 3-1 series lead blown after that by the Clippers. But then last year, they led the Clippers 2-0 in their semifinal series and lost the last four, including the final two, which uh, Kawhi Leonard didn't play. He was out with injury. So there's a lot of disappointment. And a lot of people are wondering, how does this elite regular season team make that next leap in the playoffs? I think it all has to do with versatility and health. Because if Mike Conley is healthy through the Clippers series, if Donovan Mitchell doesn't have a bum ankle, then you know maybe the Clippers defense isn't able to break the point of attack as easily it was, as it was able to, which then causes problems on the switch. And which is what mm-hmm. caused so many problems for Gobert on the defensive side. You know, it wasn't that he wasn't good. It was just that the perimeter gave him too much to deal with because they weren't holding guys out. And so if Mike and Donovan are healthy, then maybe the, that point of attack doesn't break down so easily. And maybe they actually hold off the Clippers and versatility, because, you know, if you're going up, a, up against a team, that's going to switch everything and you're only able to switch one through four comfortably uh, and you, you don't really have a small ball option that you can go to, then other teams are going to take advantage of that. And other teams have been exploiting that flaw of the jazzes for years, you know, the warriors, the rockets, the, I mean, and even the nuggets to a certain extent broke the point of attack and it could have been nice for them to have someone else that would have been switchable in that series. So, you know, the the Clippers, what they were able to do against the jazz wasn't really surprising. So, you know, health is going to be a big thing this season. And we're going to be paying a lot of attention to how the Jazz actually, how much care and focus is taken on delivering a healthy roster to the postseason. And then as far as versatility goes, you know, that's what they tried to address in the offseason. They got Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal, both guys that can play small ball five uh, and can switch one through five of versatile defenders. Does that answer the question? I, the question that the Jazz have, like, is that going to take them to the next level? That remains to be seen, and that's kind of what this season is all about. Is It's not about the regular season anymore. They prove they can win that. Uh, it's about the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, only they can answer that question, but you raised the right questions. Those are, are the things that we're going to be looking out for. We'll touch upon the personnel moves a little bit later, but to talk more about that series with the Clippers and how Rudy Gobert looked in the team defense – it generated some headlines like uh, from SB Nation, Rudy Gobert got run off the floor by the Clippers, but it wasn't all his fault. USA Today is for the win. Had Rudy Gobert was a defensive liability for the Jazz in game six against the Clippers, and these stats prove it. They were <laughs> outscored by 24 points over the 42 minutes when he was on the court in those games, but it's ridiculous to get so hung up on this. He's a three-time defensive player of the year five-time all-defensive first team. He's elite. We know that. One of the very best defensive players in the league. And you also talked about the health issues of some of the wing and rotation players, which may have created more problems with him. So is it, other than just shoring up the health of those guys, is it also maybe that Gobert needs to be more of an offensive threat for that to counteract 
some of the liabilities if teams decide to go with a small ball lineup with like a Batum at the five where Zubots didn't even really play those last two games. Are those some of the the things or is it maybe just they need to work on different defensive schemes potentially if someone goes really small against them? Well, you hit on a few things there. First of all, you know, the sources for which you're taking those headlines, I would keep that in mind <laughs> because, That's you true. know, uh, you know, the for the win blog and sport and SB nation, uh, we can throw hoops hype in there too, even though you didn't give me one of those, like they, they're look, <laughs> they're looking to create like a catchy takey headline. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, facts be damned <laughs> because I mean, any, any NBA coach if they had Rudy Gobert on their team, they're going to say like, yeah, for the majority of the time, I'm not going to take the defensive player of the year out of the game. And I think what a lot of people look at often when they think about that Clipper series is the fact that like, he's not closing out on Terrence Mann or he's like slow to rotate out on a guy who's, you know, shooting from the mid range. Well, you also need him to be coachable. And he was told specifically at times, do not close out on Terrence Mann. Do not contest the mid-range jumpers. And also, what we were talking about earlier with that breaking of the point of attack, like we, Royce O'Neal is supposed to be the best wing defender on the Jazz, and even sometimes he was getting beat. And so when his man beats him, and maybe Jordan Clarkson is overhelping, or Royce O'Neal doesn't you know, come back and help enough, then you might have two to three guys coming at Rudy Gobert. At some point, he's got to make a decision and the rest of the guys have to help out. And so it's just really unfair to put everything on Rudy Gobert's rather large shoulders. Individual defense is definitely important in the NBA. That's why you get a DPOY every year. But often those people are helped out by uh, team defense. And it's why Mike Conley had such a huge and impressive Plus minus, I think that he was second behind only Gobert last year, and he had a great defensive rating, and that's because he shared the floor with Gobert a lot, and he was really good at defending on ball. So those things all matter, and they all go into it. Whether or not the Jazz should have schemed differently against the Clippers, I'm not sure. I think that health really would have played a huge part in it. But I think this year... With the personnel changes, I think that it gives them the opportunity to scheme differently. Like, yeah, technically they had Ursan Ilyasova last season, so they could have maybe put him in a small ball five. But the guy played like, I don't know, probably 10 games or maybe a little more than that because they brought him in late in the season. And so that w- that wasn't really a guy where they're like, you know, we're going to put all of our playoff hopes on Ursan at the five. That wasn't really a good game plan for them. So I think that this year what they do is they – they work on those maybe different defensive tools that they now have. Now they can try to switch one through five. Now they can play a little bit of small ball and they can work all season at kind of refining that so that it's a tool that they actually can utilize in the postseason. Yeah, I think that's a great point. When you have more guys that you can put out there and healthy guys, then you have more options. And yeah, the other thing related to that about postseason success that I was just wondering about is... I know that Quinn Snyder and the front office, they'll take it, play it by ear based on the health of their players and that there's always a balance you have to strike between going for the conference's top record and being healthy for the playoffs. But do you think they may be approaching that a little bit differently and prioritizing health more than seed 
relative to last year? Or was that not even necessarily a thing, really, where the number one seed didn't matter that much? They just kind of fell into it. No, I think they wanted it last season. They really wanted it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the coaches and the front office also. like you, You really have to take into account in the NBA the player's decision in this too. Because if you've got a healthy guy who, you know, nothing's coming up from the trainers or the medical staff for them, and they're just told like, oh, maybe take a night off especially last season, they're gunning for that first spot. They really, really wanted it. It is very Mm -hmm. difficult to get ultra competitive elite athletes to sit on a bench. And so, (laughs) you know, Donovan Mitchell, he's a 24 year old last year. You know, do you think that you could have got him to take a couple of games off? Not a chance. Like there's no way he doesn't want to be on the court. Now, that being said, they saw, firsthand last season how important health is once you are in the postseason and how much it can change things in a really drastic way and so in talking with some of these players over the last couple of weeks they are more open to the idea of resting and Mike Conley sat on the you know second half of back-to-backs last season that's probably going to happen this season again there may be more rest days Joe Ingles is aging Rudy Gay once he comes back he's aging um Boyan Bogdanovich is also in his 30s. Like, you got a lot of veteran guys on this team that, like, you very could easily say, like, hey, let's take it easy. We're going to win a ton of games. We just need to get to the postseason healthy. And now, all that being said, Quinn Snyder also made a good point to me the other day when saying, you know, we win a lot of games because we put the good players on the floor. And so they're going to need to play a lot to be able to win that many games. I have to ask, um, last season there was reported to be some tension between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, I guess to put it lightly stemming from Gobert's somewhat flippant attitude about the uh, pandemic situation at the beginning, which he has since definitely apologized for how much of that was just gossip slash sensational headlines versus something that the jazz actually needed to resolve and worry about. And if it was real, then like, is that something that's behind them at this point? I think a lot of it was really sensationalized. It was from the moment that those, those reports were coming out. I thought things were really overblown. And from every conversation that I've had from anyone on the roster and to the front office about the situation since then, it seems like the whole thing was really overblown. Again, these are, elite athletes, you've got two max players that the Jazz have completely built their roster around in Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. They want to be the best in their lane. And if there wasn't any tension between them at all, I think that I would be really surprised. That That's not just for the Jazz. That's on all 30 NBA rosters. There's not an NBA roster out there where there aren't quibbles among teammates. And I think that that's what this is. I mean, at the end of the day, these are also like adults who are able to cool off and come back to a situation and see it for what it is. And I think actually, you know, when the pandemic really started raging, because it was at the beginning that this kind of all came out back in March, 2020, once things got really intense and, you know, people's friends and loved ones were dying. And then that was followed by a summer of civil unrest and, a lot of these players kind of bonded together in their activism for, you know, racial justice. 
those things really put basketball into perspective. And you realize that some of the things that maybe you were mad about before didn't really matter. And so I think that by the time that they were actually in the bubble, that was behind them. And so now a year later, it's definitely behind them. Yeah, that that makes sense a lot with the competitive spirits that these guys have. And also, as you said, everything that was going on in the world at the time. Just switching topics now. The Jazz brought back Mike Conley Jr. on a three-year, $68 million contract. You've spoken already about how he's had some continued health issues. He was out for a little bit in the playoffs. He's going to be 34 this season. But at the same time, he's so impactful for the Jazz uh, when he is able to be on the court and is a real difference maker. Can you talk about the calculus behind the decision to bring him back on that contract? I mean, the calculus is really easy because if you don't bring Mike Conley back on any contract, then you can't replace him, at least not with the caliber of player that Mike Conley is, because the Jazz didn't have any cap room. And so re-signing their own guy was the only option. To lose Mike Conley and to only be able to replace him with someone on like a minimum contract, just that wasn't an option. It was get Mike Conley or get nothing at all. And so... If you look around the the league, also the kind of contracts that guys like Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul got, they're kind of in the same vein. We're talking about like top level point guards, all star level point guards who are in their 30s. Uh, and so I think that Mike Conley has actually got on a discount. And if you, I think if you're looking at it that way, then it looks really, really good, especially considering how beneficial it is to have Mike Conley on this jazz roster. I mean, it probably wouldn't have thought that it would have made such a big difference, you know, if you were looking at it two years ago, but now looking at it, I mean, he just completely controls and is able to dictate the pace of a game and being able to split ball handling duties with Donovan Mitchell. And also I don't think any of us really knew how well Mike Conley was going to work off the ball because he's had the ball so much in his hands so much throughout his career he just has really, really slotted in and fit in perfectly and seamlessly with the Jazz. Last year, you had this article about Jordan Clarkson where there was this quote, confidence and respect are a two-way street with Clarkson. He gives as good as he gets. And in the Jazz and Snyder, he found a place where he was able to be himself and feel good about giving everything he had on the court for a coach and team that believes in him. Um, he seemed to find a home with the Jazz in, in Salt Lake after bouncing around for a bit in his career. He won the Sixth Man of the Year Award last year, and he's been able to contribute really well for the Jazz. Can you talk about why he works so well off the bench for the Jazz and also like why it seems like he's found a place finally in his career? Well, I mean... Has he been able to find a home? He definitely has because, uh, you know... After that, or I'm not exactly sure when that article came out, but then, you know, he inked a new extension with the Jazz. And so he's with them under contract through the 2022-23 season with the player option for the 23-24 season. And he wanted to come back for all of those reasons that you just said. He He's never felt so much like he could be himself and he was welcomed with open arms. And I think that it was maybe within the first two or three weeks after the Jazz traded for Jordan Clarkson back in December of 2019. Just a few weeks after that, I was talking with Quinn Snyder and I said, you know, the reputation that Jordan Clarkson has is that 
it's Jordan Clarkson time all the time. And he's like, that's fine. He's like, I don't care what kind of reputation or what anybody else thinks of him. The thing is, is that Jordan plays hard and he'll do whatever I want him to do. And even on the, on the defensive end, even if Jordan Clarkson is not uh, an above average defender, he gives effort. And that's not something that you can say about every player in the NBA. That's something that, you know, for a lot of players, you wish that they would just give a little bit more. And even when he's bad on that side, he's at least trying. And he takes a lot of pride in his effort on the court. The reason that maybe he's worked out so well for the Jazz is uh, his last season in Cleveland, some of the coaches started working on him on finding more efficient ways to play. And so they started trying to take out and cut out some of his mid-range game. And then when he came to the Jazz, they completely expedited that. And they say, okay, let's almost nearly eliminate the mid-range game. You can shoot absolutely as much as you want. If Jordan Clarkson wants to get buckets, he can get them all he wants, as long as they're from the three-point line or at the rim. And so they just let him loose. And they were like, you can, you can take the ball and score as much as you want, as long as you do it from the places that we want you to. And it worked out amazingly for him. He's had his most productive season of his career. Like you said, he won the Sixth Man of the Year Award, and he's probably favorited to win it again. Yeah, and one of his biggest competitors to win that award, also on the Jazz, Joe Ingles, came in second last year. Depending on who you ask, some would say that Ingles was maybe more deserving, but... What do you think? Uh, I mean, if you were to ask me, I mean, they bring such different things to the table, I guess. Uh, and angles shooting wise last year i think was maybe the most efficient of his career but what a luxury to have both of those guys able to come off your bench right sorry i just wanted to add that ingles started 30 games so i'm i'm a stickler for that i count that against him right i think that it really depends how you define the six man award because you know, and some people would take that he started 30 games as a sign that he's even more deserving of the sixth man. Because if you say, like, who's the guy off the bench that you look to to come into the starting lineup when a starter isn't available, then maybe you'd look at Joe Ingles and you say, like, he's the one that stepped up. But if you're looking at someone who has consistently been the spark off the bench, no matter the situation with the starting unit, then you have to go with Jordan Clarkson. I tend to believe that the guy who doesn't have a starting role but is just as important as the starters is the one that deserves it. And so I would lean Jordan Clarkson. That being said, I, I don't think that Joe Ingles was far off. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Hey, listeners. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. 
That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, NJIN or PA only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat. So looking at the roster, I think maybe a lot of people who don't watch the Jazz closely may not even realize that Royce O'Neal is a starter and how impactful he is on the roster. Do you expect him to keep his starting role next season and also delineate for us what he does provide on the court? I absolutely expect for him to to keep his starting role. I mean, no matter how it looked in the postseason last year, he is their best wing defender. And there was a stat that came out last season. I, I hope I'm going to be getting this right. I'm pretty sure I am. But Royce O'Neal leads the league in minutes played against the opposing team's top option. And so night after night after night, he's taking on anywhere from... LeBron James to Devin Booker, and he plays on smaller guys too. He'll switch on to them. He goes up against the Ben Simmons of the world. He switches and plays on bigger guys, whether it's one of the Morris twins or a Kawhi Leonard. He he is asked to go up against the most productive and the toughest guys on every team. And he seems like he barely breaks a sweat also. I mean, he's in incredible shape. He's very fast. He's really good in transition defense. He's way more athletic than you would think that he is. And seeing him after coming out of this offseason, it looks like he's even stronger and leaner than he was before. And I think that if things go as planned for the Jazz, if they're able to switch and be a little bit more versatile with a guy like Rudy Gay, that could open things up for Royce to be even more of a part of the offense, which he's another one of the guys that is a unbelievable three point shooter. And so he, uh, he's really truly a two way guy. Like I said, he's very athletic. He can play above the rim too. He provides so much for them and he does it in such a quiet way. Cause like you said, you know, not a lot of people are going to know who Royce O'Neal is, but he is critical to everything that they do. Yeah. Just the most casual statistic would be points that everyone looks at so scoring seven points in over 31 minutes probably doesn't turn a lot of heads he might not get a lot of counting stats but as you just described his impact is so invaluable and the other thing too I'm just curious about is he really only 6'4 because he is such a good rebounder for his size if so is that what he's listed as not that you've measured him. I'm not expecting you to have. But on ESPN, yeah. Is that surprising? That is surprising. I was surprised to see that. Yeah, he feels... I mean, when you're standing next to him, he feels a lot larger than 6'4". But like I said, he he's so athletic. And he can jump very, very high. He's an incredible rebounder. Especially like weak side rushing rebounder. Where he'll come in because he was like shading to one side into one of the corners as the jazz do when, especially when they're in transition, they they'll have two of their wings shade out to the corners really, really deep, like basically almost out of bounds and just be ready for that corner three. And if somebody else takes a shot, then Royce O'Neal, I mean, he's sprinting in to try to get that offensive rebound and he's very good at it. And if nothing else, he can bat a ball away so that he can either get the offensive rebound to one of his teammates or it just slows down 
the other team from being able to run in transition. And like those tiny little things, I mean, slowing the team down from going on a fast break, no, that's not going to show up on any box score or advanced stat, but it's really important. We have to talk about Quinn Snyder. He's tied as the third longest tenured head coach in the NBA with Steve Kerr. Only Eric Spolstra and Greg Popovich have been with their teams longer. He's widely regarded as one of the very best coaches in the league on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. But I have to ask, just because this team is so good year in and year out and hasn't yet met its postseason expectations, how much pressure is he under to deliver, not necessarily a championship, but at least Western Conference Finals or some progress in the postseason over the next two seasons? There's definitely pressure. I think, you know, when you have a season like they did last year, I think that pressure is eased a little bit because, you know, the front office is able to look at the health of the team and say, you know, what was, what was Quinn supposed to do when he's got injured players? And if, if something like that were to happen again this year, again, I think the pressure would be off. But if the Jazz go into the postseason completely healthy, basically no excuses, I think that raises the pressure a lot because then you start looking at the fact that, well, he's been here eight years and they haven't been able to get past the second round. And so it really depends on the circumstances of the team when they go into the postseason. He also has the benefit of the accolades from last season, too, where he finished top three in coach of the year voting. He was the all-star coach. His team had the number one record in the league, like you said, top five defensive and offensive rating, top net rating. Those are things that it's hard to look past. But that being said, you've had plenty of coaches who won coach of the year and then got fired the next year too. So it's a fickle world. But right now I think there is pressure. And if they go into the postseason completely healthy, I think the pressure will be raised. A couple guys that the Jazz added in the offseason, Eric Paschal and Hassan Whiteside, do you have any initial thoughts from watching them in preseason or otherwise in the offseason about the role that they're going to play for the Jazz this upcoming season? I think for the most part, Hassan Whiteside is probably going to play backup to Rudy Gobert. Now, when matchups call for it and they want to go small, then they'll probably use a little bit less of Hassan Whiteside. And then how has he looked? He's looked confused a little bit, but we're talking about at this point when recording, they've played in two preseason games and that's not a lot. And so I expect for him to look a little bit more comfortable on both sides of the ball with the Jasmine. Quinn Snyder does have complex systems and nuances to his system that these new faces have to get used to. And so I always caution people to practice patience when teams are getting new players acclimated to the system. You know, for Eric Pascal, it's it's going to be difficult to crack the rotation. I think that he's actually going to benefit quite a bit from right now. Rudy Gay is out right now, and he won't be playing, and he'll probably miss the first few games of the regular season. That probably will give Eric Pascal a little bit more of an opportunity to come in and kind of grab those reserve forward minutes, maybe even play some small ball five if they go to it and kind of switch off minutes with Hassan Whiteside. But outside of that, and depending on who is injured, I, I don't think that Eric Pascal is going to be a huge part of the rotation. As the season progresses, I think that those things can always change because you never know what's going to happen, who's going to maybe make a leap, or who's going to get injured. And so, you know, rosters are always changing, but as it would stand right now, probably not a huge part of it. And then the other guy you just mentioned, Rudy Gay. 
presently injured. He had surgery in the offseason on his heel, but the opposite one where his Achilles was ruptured in the 2016-17 season. 35 years old, 15 seasons of NBA experience. He's the guy that's been in the league a long time, former, I guess, borderline star, never logged under 21.5 minutes per game in his career, but I assume he'll have a much diminished role from that with the Jazz, right? Yeah, he's probably going to be taking over the George Niang minutes. And so I'd expect that to be somewhere between like 12 and 19 a night, depending on the night, depending on the matchup. His role is going to completely be defined by matchups also, whether or not he's playing at the five or the four or even the three sometimes, depending on the situation. The surgery that he had in the offseason is, is actually interesting, and I got quite a bit more information about that today. Right after coming back from the Achilles injury, he started to have pain in his right heel, like you said, not the same one as the Achilles. It was originally diagnosed as like heel bursitis. It's like a little sac that sits between the tendon and the bone back in the heel next to the Achilles. And if it becomes like inflamed or infected, instead of preventing the tendon and the bone like rubbing together, which is its normal function, it becomes inflamed and it just presses against that tendon. And so it can cause a lot of pain. And he was out for seven weeks uh, in that first season back from the Achilles because of that. Now with that bursitis, what happens over time is that with people who are not doing a ton of physical activity, you can usually rest, condition, uh, you know, strengthen those muscles around there. And you can alleviate that pain naturally. But for someone who's an NBA athlete, they're not going to be taking a ton of time off. And so it has just continued to cause pain over the last few years. And to add on to that, he also developed bone spurs in that heel over the last couple of years. And so Rudy Gay has actually been playing through pain on that right heel for the last five years now. And he went into this off season, kind of just sick of it. And he was going to go in and have the bone spurs removed. And it was, you know, suggested that he also clean out that bursa that had been inflamed causing the bursitis. And so he did that and it, you know, it wasn't an injury. There's no, there's no concern about long-term side effects or long-term injury from this at all. It actually, when he comes back, he should be feeling more healthy than he's felt since the Achilles because he'll, for the first time in a long time, be playing without pain. And the only problem with any of this is that it just takes a longer recovery time because when you come back from this specific surgery, you can't really do anything for basically the first two months. And so the rehab is just slow. And so now he's working back. He's working out. He's on the floor. He hasn't been in a boot or anything. He's able to run. He just has to ramp up and be cleared for full contact before he can return. And so what I'm really interested in with Rudy Gay is I wonder if he looks different, you know, is maybe his burst speed better is maybe like his pivoting and be able to start and stop. Is that a little bit better because he's not going to be experiencing that pain anymore? Yeah. In the draft this off season, the jazz took Jared Butler with the 40th pick last year. He took his Baylor bears to a national championship and he won the most outstanding player of the tournament award. Some people now are calling that pick for Jared Butler as the steal of the draft. What exactly have you seen from him this this offseason and also, I guess, in his college career, if, if you watch that, that is leading people to that kind of statement? Yeah, I watched him a bit in college and 
through his last season at Baylor and coming into you know his NBA career, he was projected to be basically a late lottery pick. The reason that 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 he dropped was he wasn't even allowed to do any draft workouts because um, his initial physical with the NBA picked up on a heart problem. That was no surprise to Jared Butler because he's been dealing with a heart issue since his last year in high school. And he was never concerned about it because every year that he was at Baylor, he had to get clearance from his doctors. And so far in his life, everybody has said, this is not an issue and you're absolutely cleared to play full green light. It was just that the waiting process with the NBA was a little bit longer. They had to bring together a panel of doctors and then those doctors choose another doctor to come in and play like outside perspective. And it's just a much longer process. And so as that process of getting him cleared was going on, he wasn't able to be in the combine. He wasn't able to do draft workouts. The Jazz got their own intel on him and they they wanted him. And the fact that he dropped to 40 and they were able to get him there was like, that was like Christmas morning for the Jazz. He didn't play in Summer League. And so the first action that we've really seen of him has been over the last week and a half. It's pretty clear that he's at least a first round talent. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we were to rewind and go revisionist history that he would be a lottery pick. His handle and his decision making with the ball in his hands seems incredibly advanced for a guy coming into his rookie NBA season. I'm been really impressed with that. And he obviously has tendencies that like all rookies are going to have. He's going to foul too much. He wants to drive right into traffic because in college you're able to do that because people aren't as strong. They're not as limber. They're not as trained and he won't be able to do that anymore. So he's got to learn to kind of widen his driving lanes a little bit, maybe do some scoop layups rather than try to play through the trees. But he's also just a, a pure shooter. He's just a beautiful shot and he has amazing range. He had that at Baylor. He was shooting from well beyond the college three point line throughout his Baylor career. And so there are a lot of really good things about Jared Butler. I think that you know, like I was saying with Eric Pascal, it's going to be hard to break this rotation. But with rest, especially with a guy like Mike Conley, who we know is going to have some rest days coming up in this season, Jared Butler's going to have opportunities to play. And it's going to be really valuable for him. And I know that a lot of Jazz fans uh, have been high on Trent Forrest, who is back on a two-way deal with the Jazz. But I think that because Jared Butler is so good so fast and his ceiling is so much higher that he is probably going to supplant Trent Forrest as kind of the de facto guy to go to when they need someone to come in at point. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing all of your time and your expertise about the jazz with us today. It's been a pleasure. I really learned a lot and I look forward to following the jazz and your work about them this coming season. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks again to Sarah Todd of the Deseret News and the Unsalvageable podcast for lending her expertise to the show. And as always, thank you to all of the loyal listeners for tuning in. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by Aaron Fishman and me, Lauren Lee Chen. You can follow the two of us on Twitter at by Aaron Fish and at Lauren L. Chen, respectively, and our show at On the NBA Beat. You can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated as they really do help more people find the show. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.